My name is Glenn Friedman. I'm the CEO of Prager Medicine International. Prager Medicine International is a full-service global advisor and accounting firm, and you are inside the C-suite, the journey. Today, we are joined by Eric France, CEO of Bethel Woods Center for the Arts. For those of you that may not know, Bethel Woods is located on the site of the 1969 Woodstock Music Festival in the Catskill Mountains, and it is personally one of my favorite places to visit. So with that, let's get started. Eric, thanks for joining us. Um, Thank you. Eric, could you... Ah, it's a pleasure. Please, please just share with us a little bit about Bethel Woods. Well, sure. Uh, it's a project of our founder, Alan Gary, who was a cable pioneer, uh, was a local guy from Sullivan County, uh, 90 minutes from New York City. And when he uh, came back from the Marine Corps, he uh, was an entrepreneur, started a appliance business and realized he'd sell more TVs up here if people had something to watch on them. So he started to string up cable uh, television in the 50s and 60s, eventually growing his company into the eighth largest cable company in the U.S., uh, which merged with Time Warner in the 90s. And after that merger, looked to do something to give back to Sullivan County. And Sullivan County isn't known for a heck of a lot uh, beyond the Borscht Belt days when the hotels were really very popular up here. So the Woodstock Festival was the only thing that uh, was, was you know, meaningful. And he bought the property and eventually developed it into Bethel Woods Center for the Arts, which is a 16,000 capacity uh, amphitheater, as well as the original field, which we know holds 450,000 people comfortably. Um, and we also have a museum and a ton of community and education programming that we offer to the community up here. Well, that's great. So first, I want to give a shout out to, to Alan because uh, it may be my only chance, right? First, he served his country. And uh, with that, I want to say once a Marine, always a Marine. But this is beyond a project. For those of you that have visited Bethel Woods, this is a dream. Uh, and, and I really do recommend that anybody that can get outside the city, uh, take a drive up to Bethel Woods, see the Woodstock Museum, and at the same time, take in a show. And if you just walk the grounds, it, it is spectacular. You're on top of the world. So this is an incredible vision and legacy to Mr. Gary. At the same time, we're here not to talk about Alan because he's uh, got quite a biography. We're here to talk about Eric. And Eric, you know, give me a little bit of, of your history with the Catskills. Well, sure. I uh, Well, I'm a Long Islander uh, uh, originally, and my grandparents had a place up here uh, in Liberty, New York, and we would come up on the weekends and uh, just cut firewood, cut hay, and we were always busy, and there was always work to do up here. So that was sort of how I was raised. And, you know, after college, I worked for Pricewaterhouse, and, which became Pricewaterhouse Coopers while I was there. And, um, you know, worked for a couple of companies and a couple of startups, software company that was just about to go public and Microsoft purchased it. And I had the shot to move up here. And I came up here, worked at a couple of years at a cable television company in uh, Middletown, New York called Mediacom, and was uh, just sort of stepped in it to get the job here as the CFO when I was 29 years old, a month before the first concert. So it was really great for me, at least, to get up here permanently and not have to deal with the three-hour ride up here every weekend, which had become second nature at the time. 
So, so your path to the to the office of the CEO is you stepped in it. <laughs> uh, be careful what you step in. Uh, anyway, let, let's let's talk a little bit about that Long Island uh, childhood of yours. Uh, public school or private school? What, what was it? Yeah, so I went to private school until eighth grade, uh, Christian private school, and went back to public school uh, just in time for high school in ninth grade. And you know, back then there was no internet, and when it was time to go to college, I was flipping through the college books that were in every library, and I stumbled on Babson College, which was getting these great ratings for private business schools. And one of the things I really hated was foreign language. Um, I hated Latin, and I really hated Spanish, and I learned that I could still get a Regents diploma in New York if I took five business classes. And I kept taking accounting classes and doing really well in them. And it was some great teachers that convinced me I should really keep a business focus. And, uh, you know, that really sort of took me to where I ended up here in a roundabout way. That's, that's pretty interesting. So so Long Island kid steps in it with a cable company, winds up CFO for uh, Bethel Woods. So what, what, what happened to you after that? Well, so, you know, we were, uh, we opened here 2006, July was the first show, and we uh, had a lot of consultants still around, a lot of uh, uh, contractors still working, and paint was drying when we opened, but we were a startup, you know, even though we had a lot of business people that were behind this, and, and really good business people, this was, uh, you know, from scratch operation, where, you know, we, we were faced with not having uniforms for the people when we had our first concert and, you know, all types of things that we worked our way through. Um, but as always, you know, it was designed to be a nonprofit to give back to Sullivan County and to be an engine for economic development. And so when we first opened, we were focused on getting the concert business right. You know, two years later, we opened the museum and that was a whole new um you know, business and and also mission-based work that goes along with being a museum. And, you know, we had to figure out what the next uh, five years were going to look like after that. And part of that was rolling Bethel Woods out of our chairman's um, foundation and making it its own 501c3 so that the public would embrace it. And, uh, you know, that, that there's definitely people's buy-in from not only local level, but, you know, a national level where people look at Woodstock and see what it meant to them and what it meant to the world and how it was a slice of America. It wasn't just hippies. There were a lot of people here. And, you know, for 450, 500,000 people to be in one place for three days, which should be a, a real disaster, uh, turned out to be an amazing, peaceful, um, you know, culmination of a very, very difficult de decade, of, which was the 60s. So let's talk about the people from from the those hippies that showed up there to the people that it takes to to keep your you looking good and running good and Bethel running well because as everybody knows it's not just a museum it's not just a music venue there there's food service there's corporate events there's yoga classes you've really broadened and this takes a great deal of team effort how important are those people to you Oh, they are everything. You know, one thing I've learned over the years is you can't do everything yourself and uh, you can't know everything and you can't 
always be the most creative mind in the room and you need other people around you. And COVID has, has taught me that more than anything. When you can't vibe off of those people in a conference room, it's harder on Zoom. I mean, obviously I'm an accountant by trade, so I can be very happy locked in a room working. Being an auditor, that's just what we're used to. But uh, when you need creativity flowing, you need people around you, um, you really will miss it when you don't have it. And uh, But we have great people who have tried to pivot as best as we could with the situation that we're in now, but also figuring out what are the core things we want to do when we're out of this, you know, how do we come back stronger and uh, really remind people what it's like to be at a live event because there's nothing else like it. There's sitting there with your headphones on listening to your favorite song is very different than being on your feet, hands in the air with your friends around you at a concert, hearing it played live. There's just no other experience. And we're just very ready to bring that back to people because they need it now more than ever. Right. So for our listeners that may not understand this, obviously everybody knows about COVID and everybody's living that, but being a music venue uh, during COVID is, is very difficult. Uh, all, all performances were canceled uh, there's really no no way of knowing when that comes back i can tell you this that uh, being uh, associated with the music industry our firm is being contacted now for the first time since uh, the announcement of the vaccine to really get kickstart things and to start thinking into the future as to when we can put some talent out there so for bethel this had to be a huge challenge um what did it mean economically to bethel well, Bethel Woods runs a deficit every year, and thank God that gap is bridged by donors and uh, the generosity of the Gary family each year. But, you know, we run a deficit of four to four and a half million dollars, and this year it's going to be upwards of six to seven. You know, we're trying to do things where we can to, to save money and to, you know, do a holiday show as an example where we're doing a drive-through holiday show this year, which, you know, maybe not be a huge financial success, but will at least bring people to the area, get people out and be in people's hearts and minds when we normally wouldn't be in November, December. But, um, you know, it has been a real challenge, but, you know, what's great is how people have reacted, our supporters who are there and realize that, you know, we do have to resume some type of normalcy at some point and that we need to be here when that happens. So, the message to to the public and to those of you that love Bethel Woods and want it to be around, just like so many other 501c3s, it, it really could use your support and generosity, particularly during this this time of year. So so please help out. Uh, let, let's go back to your journey. Did you ever see yourself as a CEO of an organization like this? You know, I can't say that I had, and and it's been recent conversations with family that I was reminded that. My sister and I had a stage in the basement when we were kids and my mother had uh, taken some old sheets to make curtains and I hated being on the stage. I, you know, I hate even doing things like this because I'm not, you know, I'm an introvert, I'm an accountant. Um, but uh, I liked being behind the stage, running the record player and wiring up the stereo. And, you know, so I was the behind the scenes guy. So, you know, being in charge or, or owning my own company was probably something I thought about, but never at this scale. And to think that I've come full circle and I'm back in the basement is <laughs> kind of surprising in the end. But, you know, one of the things that uh, I'd say has just been important just through my career, I'd never give up anything I learned in public accounting. You know, there was nothing more humbling than, you know, being a first year accountant and doing whatever 
it took, you know, and whether it was making copies till four in the morning till you couldn't hit the button anymore. Like, you know, there was so much I learned and so many people that I connected with back in those years that, you know, maybe I don't talk to them for five years, but if I pick up the phone and call them, it's just like yesterday, you know, it's, it's kind of amazing what that experience was. And, you know, I framed houses in high school too, for the family's um, contracting business. And, you know, you'll learn a lot of things on a job site, you'll never learn anywhere else. So, you know, I've always been around hard work, so to think that I would be doing this, I, I can't say I ever dreamed it. It's like it's a big dream uh, in the end, but it really is satisfying to be at one of the best venues in the country, to be associated with just such a great organization. I, I you know, I couldn't have dreamt this when I was in the basement, uh, you know, 40 years ago. What, what do you think? I, like, I believe that the things we learn um to stay with you and they're applicable, right? So everything you learned in the basement, everything you learned making copies, all of, all of those people that mentored you and taught you from your parents to your grandfather, that all meant something that, that gets you through the day today, I'm sure. But is there anything you could really point to that, that, that really, you know, trained you or prepared you for the position that you currently hold? Well, you know, it's probably a couple of things that, you know, I think even as a kid working in a gas station where I really loved when people thought of me as being reliable and I was going to change the coffee every half an hour and the bathroom would always be clean on my shifts and I'd always carry two sheets of plywood or I was always on time like those having a reputation of, you know, always being reliable meant something to me. But you know, in practicality, I think one of the most important things uh, that I think accountants have, and, and I've been told this by my bosses here and board members and things, you know, one of the things we're good at is taking a lot of complexity and taking thousands and thousands of general ledger accounts and turning that into beautiful financial statements, you know, taking complexity and boiling it down to something simple because there are a lot of people that don't want to get in the details and don't want the complexity, but being able to put something that's probably a hundred pages of data onto one page to make a multi-million dollar decision. That's a skill that's not easy. And I think it's one that's been really helpful from my time in public accounting. And uh, I think those are the biggies, you know, being reliable, learning how to work hard. And, and it's something that's not the same. I don't think these days, I would just say that I sound like an old man now, but it's not the same in public accounting probably than it was 20 years ago where, you know, you worked hard and the whole team worked hard and you were expected to be there until the manager left. And, you know, those types of uh, work ethic things are not always there, but uh, I think I learned a lot from that. And uh, you can never take that away from me that I won't be here as late as anybody else. I'm not gonna leave anybody in the wind with work to do when I could help them. Uh, those are the traits I think that got me to where I'm sitting right now. Well, I got to tell you something. I think your grandfather would be amazed at where you are today. I, I don't think that people um, got this from, from our opening, but your grandfather loved the cat skills. He, he was an immigrant to this country. And I guess in basically two generations, you find yourself heading up a fantastic organization. And I do want to thank you for being inside the C-suite today. And I do want to thank you for all the uh, entertainment and good times and fun, enjoyable moments I've had at Bell Woods. And mostly, I want to close with a shout out to the 400 volunteers that keep Bell moving. And that's, 
that's mind-boggling that you have a, a 400 volunteer force of people that give of their time and give of themselves because it's such a great venue. So with that, I want to say, Eric, thank you for being here. Thank you for what you do, and I look forward to uh, this season's concert. Thank you, thank Len, you. and we can't thank you and Maddie and everybody at Prager Metis for all your support over the years. You guys have been great, and uh, we can't wait to see you again, too. Take care. Thank you.